You are listening to the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White and today's episode is a little unusual. It's about fire. Having just come through two very close calls in the fires of early 2020 on the south coast of New South Wales, I wanted to share a bit of the experience I've been through and some of the lessons learned. It's 2019 was a bit of a tough year, I suppose, for us because we, um, my mother-in-law was ill and declining through the year and my husband had a couple of trips to Canada and we lost her in October. So we've had a tough year from that perspective and weren't really thinking about going anywhere for Christmas or travel or any of those sorts of things. We were busy with our work and I also fired up a few new projects at the end of last year and decided that I would focus on that as a way of staying buoyant and positive and moving forward into the new year. So I worked up until Christmas Eve, had a couple of days off and worked again on the 30th of December, ready and geared up for the new year. At the same time though we had our eyes on the fires that were around us. There were people out there deliberately lighting fires, arsonists, and there were also people who were going about their daily business not thinking clearly and lighting fires, such as a, a guy who mowed his property in the bush and decided to set fire to the trimmings, which created one of the bigger fires down in our area. It was a normal day, the 30th of December for us. I did maybe four or five hours work, lots of conversations, and felt pretty good about what was ahead. We knew that there was a fire risk coming up and having thought carefully about what we would do, we had packed a bag each and some bedding and a few things and we had a bit of a strategy for managing our chickens and ducks and lorikeets. We live on a thousand square metre block with a lot of trees and we're surrounded by holiday homes which have huge fuel banks, lots of leaves in gutters and trees and overgrown gardens and things that there's no way we could defend this property being surrounded by vacant properties that that have that fuel load so we decided that if the risk came up we would leave and that was the best decision I think because we saw these fires and we know that there were people around trying to defend their properties with garden hoses and there's no way no way that would have cut it it was just a David and Goliath situation about 5.30 or 6 o'clock on the morning of New Year's Eve, I woke up and I went to our bathroom. We have a two-story house. I went to the bathroom that faces the south and I just felt waves of hot air blowing on my face. And I was pretty scared. I was pretty terrified that this fire was so close. And I woke my husband up and I said this is bad I could hear helicopters flying I could see helicopters with carrying water I could see and hear all this stuff going on there were black leaves falling on the roof and in the yard Um, so my husband made a coffee and we sat in bed and we ate some Christmas cake and we talked about what we would do and how we'd do it we decided that we would travel to Maria which is about 20k south of us 
and we would take the bags that we'd packed and anything else we could grab, our laptops and stuff like that. Excuse me, I'm getting a little bit sniffly about thinking about these things. Um, and we decided that we would put our chickens and ducks in our laundry and lock them in there because at least if a fire came through our property and the property was still standing they may be safe. So we put our eight chickens and five ducks in the laundry with a big bowl of water and a big thing of food planning that we would be away perhaps overnight and come home to them. We went south to Maria soon after and by about eight o'clock we were parked on a big oval called Gundery Oval. Um, there was a, a high school set up there as a refuge but we wanted to be not in such a crowded area since we had all of our flock with us. Oh sorry we didn't have our flock with us but we just wanted to be um, not in a crowded area. So we went to the park and we sat there and all these rubbish trucks started showing up and parking around us because they'd been evacuated from the nearby industrial area which is pretty much in the bush, surrounded by bush. Um, it was then that I realised that we didn't have really much food so I nipped into town which was two minutes away and bought a bunch of supplies and I bumped into a friend of mine there who was coming back from camping and she was looking at pork roasts and I said don't go home you know you don't you don't need a pork roast right now you need dried food and stuff and she says oh no no I think we'll be okay was is it any worse than it was yesterday and I said yeah it's it's coming like please don't go home they've got a couple of little girls and I think at the rate at which the shop was getting cleared out this Woolworths in Maria was just getting emptied of stuff of provisions it was apparent that this was a really serious thing my husband decided to go back to the house and turn the sprinklers on and see if there was anything he could do and it, that was a really hard thing because I'd come back from shopping and, and had a chat to him and, at the park and he said I'm just going to duck home and just double check everything's okay and see if there's anything else I can do but the mobile towers were out either they'd been switched off or the poles had been damaged or something because he got here and I couldn't reach him and that was really terrifying um, I had the fires near me app running I could see where the fire was going I didn't know if he was okay or not But um, about 40 minutes later he sent me a text and said I had no reception and I'm, I'm out and I'm coming home and well coming home means coming to the campground right and so he arrived and we watched these black plumes of smoke heading toward our little village of Mossy Point there are 300 odd, 250 odd homes in Mossy Point and half of them are, maybe half or a third of them are holiday homes so they're vacant. Next to us is Browley, there's 350 to 500 homes in that area with a percentage of holiday homes. Tomekin to the north of us. Um, we have friends in all of these areas. Some of them had ember attack and they were putting out spot fires 
some of our friends two streets away were at home and having had their Airbnb people check out the night before and they realised that this black cloud was coming and the sky went black and they had firemen running down their street telling them that they needed to get out and everyone who was here drove to the beach or the boat ramp um, to try and seek shelter because the fire was imminent it was going to just wipe everything out there's so much fuel, there's so many trees here, so much leaf litter it would have all gone um, and then the southerly at the last minute picked up and belted through and drove the fire away from Mossy Point and Browley and to the north. There was a house lost in Browley nearby and there were spot fires in some of the homes. We can see houses here that are intact but the whole front yard, all the grass is black. Um, there are a couple of sheds burned. The fire embers blew over to some of the beach vegetation in North Bralee where people were sheltering and those people must have been terrified because suddenly the the June vegetation was alight um, and they managed to put that out thank God. So that was New Year's Eve um, it was extremely terrifying and we got home that evening around 6.30 or 7.30 maybe exhausted from the tension of wondering what had happened, wondering how our friends were, what was our property standing, did everyone make it, who lost their homes, were our pets alive. Unfortunately our chickens and ducks had been locked up all day and it was hot in there and the chicken and duck poo was miserable and my husband vehemently exclaimed that he was going to be the one to clean it up and he did and what a saint that man is because what a mess was in our laundry and we were so thankful that our flock made it out and that our home was unscathed apart from a few little melted bits of shade cloth where embers had landed in our yard um, so that was quite a terrifying thing and it's it's hard to come back from that, it's hard to calm down, it's hard to sleep. There are choppers all night, you can smell smoke blowing in from the north or from the south and you wake up in the middle of the night and you wonder if there's another fire starting somewhere. Um, you're trying to get a handle on what's happening next. Having no internet coverage means that you don't really know where the next threat is coming from and how quickly it's coming and we don't have transistor radios anymore of course so we had to turn our cars on and listen to the ABC 97.3 which was a bit of a saviour for us I probably should go back a step at this point and say that at least when we were in Maruya we had internet coverage and so I was able to send and mobile coverage. I was able to send text messages to my family in Perth and WhatsApp messages to my husband's family in Canada. We were able to post on Facebook and let people know that we were safe. And it was then that I really got to thinking about how silence is torture. 
it's it's hard to be in a situation like we've been in but it's equally as hard for friends and family and loved ones who are wondering what's going on and I think whether it's a life-threatening situation or something big in life that you're going through silence is torture for the people who love you silence is difficult they're wondering how you are what's going on how you're feeling are you safe are you okay and I had a real sense of I want to say duty but it's not duty I've it's I had a need to let everybody know how we were going and how we're doing and how we're feeling because and that we were safe because I knew that they were sitting there watching horrific catastrophic images on the news and the news does a great job of reporting what's going on but there's also a hell of a lot of catastrophe playing 24-7 in these situations and then it becomes easy to associate that catastrophe with your loved one living in that area whether or not it applies to them or not so I was really thankful to be in Maria on New Year's Eve and being able to keep in contact with our friends and family so that they weren't worried about us um, and sometimes even that they were able to give us information that we couldn't get I also realized how important community is and I've been in a craft group on Fridays for a few months and we're connected on Facebook Messenger and some of the ladies had gone to Canberra to be safe and they were able to feed us information all day every day about all sorts of things where the fire risk was what the weather conditions were predicted to be any changes in weather, rural fire service updates, things that we weren't able to get on our phones as time went on. We had somebody in Canberra, Faye, who was just giving us hope and information and strength and support and we were able to support each other on that thread and it was so valuable to have those those connections to have friends in touch able to put people in touch with other people who could help them in their area that they were or even just to let someone know where they could access the internet to communicate with their families those sorts of things um, are important and that those connections were really valuable for us while we were in this situation on New Year's Day uh, after we had cleaned up the laundry and cleaned up the house we really didn't want to pack up uh, sorry unpack we didn't want to get comfortable again because we knew that there were more hot days coming and we could see that fires north and east and south of us were potentially going to join up with each other or other fires and that those fires might make their own weather systems and drive embers toward us so we spent the next few days getting better prepared on New Year's Eve I realized that we were just prepared for camping for the day on the oval as I mentioned earlier and if we had have lost everything on that day on New Year's Eve um, we we wouldn't have had all that we needed and wanted in our cars 
so we took it more seriously the next time with the second evacuation we had a couple of days warning um, I needed to shovel some stones off our driveway so we could access our trailer so I spent two hours shoveling river, river pebbles to clear up that space my husband got a fish trap from a friend and built a gate on it so that we could take all of our poultry with us we tied surfboards onto the roofs of our cars and we packed a few more personal items and clothes we got better prepared with food stocks um, and we were getting ready to leave again I also was able to cancel appointments or reschedule things or let people know that I was offline and get some of those basic things done which was helpful on the 4th of January uh, it was a Saturday and that was the hot weather day that was predicted I didn't want to um, wait for the morning and leave I wanted to leave the night before and one of our friends was doing some voluntary work at the local aged care home and she said that they'd been told to leave by 6 p.m. the Friday night so I said to my husband that I really wanted to get out early uh, he said oh well you know if we need to leave in the middle of the night we can but it would have been difficult to try and move all our chickens and ducks into a cage in the middle of the night and to do so calmly especially if the fire moved quickly and we needed to leave so we didn't want to be caught compromised but we'd spent the day or the days before drenching our garden re-cleaning the gutters again in our roofs drenching the neighbors gardens either side clearing up rubbish you know we had a good full two days of preparing for this second event and by the time we were ready to evacuate we had everything in place our cars were really fully loaded my husband took his boat to a property where it actually went through fire in the end anyway and we managed to get all of our poultry into a trailer and drive north this time to Malua Bay to a beachside campground that was indicated as a safe area we slept there the night and woke up knowing that our house was safe but the risk was then of amber attack that day and as the day got hotter and inched up toward 40 41 degrees around us it wasn't that in Malua Bay but it definitely was to the north and south of us and inland the fires converged they ripped through big areas um, we saw walls of flames at the back of Malua Bay there were people in the campground who'd lost their homes there were people who lost their businesses we had people friends in Mossy Point who were staying behind to defend had fire hoses and tanks and were probably in a better location than us with concrete structures instead of wood and those sorts of things um, it was in Malua Bay that I think it was the scariest for me because I could actually see the, the orange glow of the fire over the hills and I knew that if it blew westerly and came over to us that we would have ember attack on the very grass that we were camping on we had some 
news since there was no internet coverage there we had to drive out of Malua Bay into the north to get any sort of cell reception so that we could get news and I did that three or four times that day but we had people coming in who'd been fighting spot fires just to the north or south of us and who had news and they said that the evacuation centre in Batemans Bay had been asked to put down their tents and their tarps and anything that was flammable and could be at risk in an ember attack so we hurriedly packed up our car's awning and the roof over our chicken enclosure and we just had to sit and wait it out which is one of the hardest things trying to stay calm and cool when there's a fire raging all around you and keep an eye out for embers and doing that for hours on end is, is difficult, it's tiring, there's a lot of tension. By the end of that day we had been able to connect to our messenger network and get updates from Faye and the others and text messages from friends who were in Mossy Point still to say that we had dodged a bullet once again and we were able to come home that evening. It was pretty surreal to arrive back and to park up for the night. We left our poultry in the cage for the night to sleep on the back of the trailer because we didn't trust that this wouldn't happen again, that there wouldn't be some middle of the night thing that would make us need to leave again the next day. Um, but luckily there was nothing else coming our way. We had a restless night's sleep. That was on the 4th. And even over the next two days, the 5th and the 6th, it's now the 8th as I'm recording this, over the next two days the sky is still full of helicopters and planes, water bombing, we can still smell a smoke, it's a thick, thick fog outside that comes back and goes away as the winds change. We've seen things destroyed driving around, there's just blackened trees. As a rangeland ecologist in my former life I know that many of those trees will re-sprout or that seed banks will germinate and the forests will come back but it's a little comfort right now seeing people's businesses and houses lost there's a there's a sense with everybody that we've been through something huge and that we're lucky to have had each other and to have had the ABC radio to listen into and our own network groups that we're all in, our own personal cohorts that have helped to keep each other sane and calm and been able to support each other in such a difficult time. We were without power for six or seven days I think and the water was turned off temporarily here on the 4th and it really gets you thinking about how much we rely on those digital networks. I think my husband and I are lucky because he's a geologist and I'm a rangeland ecologist or a biologist by training so for us camping out in the bush and being without power and those sorts of things is something that we've done many times before and it's comfortable but 
I think about the people who haven't had that experience, haven't done any camping or who are heavily reliant on all things digital and how they might have coped with being cut off. The fear of that and the disconnection of that would have been massive. The power came back on two nights ago and it was uh, a huge relief. I, I was able to let go of some of that tension that I'd been carrying for days and I had a little cry at the thought that this might be over finally. Um, it meant that we could do a few more things and that our levels of tension and panic were a bit lower. There is still a threat this coming weekend on the, it must be the 10th or 11th of January. We're going to have hot temperatures again and although we have a buffer unburnt around us and the Browley fire crew have been fabulous, they've been back burning all behind us to give us a buffer of prote protection. There is still a risk that winds could blow embers through the unburnt corridors around us that could reach us on those days so we will need to be vigilant. As a result we and many other people in our little townships, our villages have not yet unpacked. We've unpacked our cars because there are unfortunately looters around at the moment uh, breaking into houses and smashing things and taking things and also cars but um, we still have our bags packed, we still have our emergency supplies and our precious things ready in the house so that if we need to leave again this weekend we just load up our cars and go. We're not ready to relax just yet and it won't be until we get a good six inches of rain that we can really uh, just ease off and get back to normal life. At the time of recording this I don't have any internet and I've just called up to try and book NBN connection. I don't know when that will happen but it's coming soon and that means I'll be able to post this podcast. I'm recording it on my C drive now and hoping to God that we don't have another fire this weekend that somehow obliterates everything I've recorded locally on my C drive. It's bloody tense going through fire. The the sense of having your life and your home and your friends and family lost is huge and if there's anything to be learned from this it's to be prepared. I know that's the Scouts motto and I know that it's such a once in a lifetime thing perhaps. It's such a, a rare thing to face something so catastrophic in most people's lives. But if you're listening to this and thinking what can I do? The first thing you can do is to protect yourself and that means to get really clear on what you would take with you in, in a natural disaster and to have that on standby. We have decided that we're going to have a cupboard in our house that has essential supplies, camping gear and so forth that we would take in event of a fire and to have that dedicated cupboard just for that stuff. So maybe there's something like that that you could do immediately to be prepared. The other thing is to manage your property well and 
to clear up leaves and sticks and bark and rubbish and anything that is a fire hazard especially if you're in a rural area there's a lot of wooden structures and old structures maybe there are things that you can renovate or upgrade or get rid of but keeping on top of that minimizing the fuel load and having a good water tank is going to go a long way to help you prepare for fire if that comes and maybe for other sorts of natural disasters. Another thing that's really helpful, another lesson I think is to be insured. We know people that weren't insured and have lost both homes and businesses. They got nothing. And insurance seems like an expensive thing or something that may not be required but in the absolute worst case scenario that you did lose everything what would you do that's kind of the question to ask yourself I personally think insurance is worth having and all of our premiums are going to go up now as a result of this fire but it's really something worth considering I'm glad that we have insurance and there was some comfort in knowing that if we did lose everything we would be able to rebuild because we would have access to that. I think the other thing is to know that you have a network of friends and supporters around you, some little group of people that you can check in with and communicate with in times like these. I think that's about the fourth lesson now I'm up to that I've learned from this, how important those networks are for helping you to stay sane in times of trouble and also for helping you to get information uh, and support. The final thing is to have a really good plan and I was speaking to a neighbour about this about how the fight and flight reflex really kicks up when you see those flames, when you see those black clouds, when that threat is imminent your brain doesn't work properly, you can't make decisions and my husband and I had talked through what we would do and in which order and who would do what and where we would go and we had a plan B and a plan C and a plan D if this then that having talked through all that stuff and even writing it down or drawing a picture of it or something means that when you have that embedded in your brain you don't have to think about it in the moment and panic and make decisions on the fly it's much better to have that stuff hashed out and discussed and rationalized uh, and maybe you'll never need to use that plan and that would be the best case scenario but I think the reason that we were able to stay on top of everything is because we had talked through exactly what we would do and when and what our triggers would be and how we would go about saving ourselves and our property and what the priorities are this is something that the Rural Fire Service talks about is to have a plan. The last thing I think is, um, and this really hit home for me when we were preparing to evacuate the second time, the Rural Fire Service website, uh, we were able to access the app at that time because we still had internet coverage um, patchy on that day. It said that you need to be physically, mentally and emotionally prepared for fire. <laughs> it's kind of a big ask really but I, I know why they put that there. It, they're just saying it is a lot to deal with and it really is. 
when you've been through something like this, when you've had that never-ending tension over a, a period of days, that sustained tension, that heightened alert response, it's it takes a lot to recover. You probably won't sleep properly. I'm seeing people around me who are drinking to, to calm down in the evenings. Uh, I've seen people who are having little breakdowns and I've seen other people who are just maintaining their daily running regime despite the smoke and all of the shock. So I think having some sort of a plan to deal with your physical, mental and emotional state, time off work, people to talk to, people to get help from is, is really important. It's not like you can just pick up and go to work the next day. People around me are struggling with survivor guilt, I guess you could say, because their properties weren't burned and their lives weren't lost. And there are people who are going to be dealing with loss and grief as everybody else gets back to their normal routines. But these people have suddenly had a whole different change in their life circumstances and they're going to have to deal with that. So there's going to be this ongoing need to just be mindful of all of our own emotions and mental state and to give ourselves the time and space we need to recover. That might mean saying no to people, turning away work, having days off, finishing early, spending time alone, spending time with others, doing things that bring flow or create positivity, practicing gratitude. There's a big healing process to come. And if you are someone that's listening to this and you've been through this experience, I'm going to offer something that I think might help you and that is to stay out of the inevitable political and other debates that are going to pop up after this. It's a very emotional time for us all and the priority is to ensure your own personal recovery rather than to get embroiled in the emotional debates that are going to come as a result of this. Manage your own health and well-being first, your own mental and emotional state. That's going to take some time. Anyway, that's it from me. That's my podcast on fire. Um, to wrap up, I just want to say that over the course of eight days, I've learned so much. And instead of being fearful at the sound of chopper, a chopper or a plane, now I'm thinking, what sort of chopper is that? In which direction is it heading? Instead of wondering where are the fires, I'm now thinking, what is the risk? Where might they join and which direction might they head? The amount of experience I've had has been massive and it's going to stand me in good stead for anything that might come at me in future. They say that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and this has been a really good example of that. Thanks for listening to me today. If you made it to the end, um, I appreciate you being here and I look forward to seeing you in 2020 
on more uplifting topics and my final word is that life is too short to be fearful and not to act to get the things that you want and need or to bring your greatness to the world. I've just learned that so much can be lost in such a short period of time and if you have a dream I highly recommend you follow it. Thanks for listening and I'll see you soon. Bye for now.